Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I'm your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to our show. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters, and we're so glad that you joined us today. All of the books are available as usual in paperback and ebook formats on Amazon.com. And now, volumes 6, 5, 4, and 3 are all out on audiobook via Audible, iTunes, and Amazon, so do take advantage of that. I've narrated them myself in the very same way in which I read accounts on this podcast. So what you hear is what you get. And that being done by the prompting of many of my fans and listeners, for which I am very grateful. And now, let me welcome back my brother, Kevin. How are you, Kev? Hey, Bill. Doing great. How are you doing today? Super duper, man. And uh, some of our listeners already know that you were taking a little sabbatical uh, up into the great state of Alaska. And uh, although I've spoken to you a little bit about it, I'd like you to uh, kind of fill us in on some of the details of what you were doing up there. Yeah, absolutely. So like I hinted at in uh, in our uh, one of our last podcasts, I wasn't going on a cruise. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. uh, we, we were out mostly in the wild of Alaska, out in a place called uh, Chinitna Bay which wow. is uh, west of uh, the Kenai Peninsula across uh, Captain Cook's Inlet. And uh, it's over uh, this particular little bay is uh, a protected area, a nationally protected area. And what's unique about it, I guess, uh, even in Alaska, is that there are a ton of brown bears there. And, uh, you know, what I learned in Alaska um, is that a brown bear is basically the same as what we would call a grizzly bear in yeah, the rest how of North nice. America. But because they have a different diet, you know, mostly uh, fish and uh, vegetation, fish being salmon and vegetation, they actually uh, look a little bit. They end up looking a little bit different because of their diet. Right. Um, so they call them brown bears. But for all intents and purposes, it's a grizzly, if you're more familiar with that term. And what's unique about this place is there's very few humans, uh, especially on an overnight basis, very few. And there's a ton of food for the bears. So the bears don't they don't know to be afraid of people or they don't have a reason to be afraid of humans and they have plenty to eat. So they're not really interested in eating humans, and they're not familiar with the uh, food sense of humans. So <laughs> you hope. <laughs> I, well, I especially <laughs> like the fact that they weren't interested in eating humans. Because <laughs> I was getting uh, super close to these bears, um, you know, to give you a feel, probably like 15 feet away from a mother and cub. Oh, man, example. you're out of your mind, man. I know. I know. It, it was a really special uh, getaway and a really special setting where you could interact with these bears. And, you know, some of the folks I've told about this, they're like, oh, yeah, well, they put out food to lure the bears in. And absolutely not. You know, this is your you're viewing these huge brown bears 
in their natural setting um, and really, you know, seeing them in a special way where uh, they have not been changed uh, even or affected even by the observation of the humans, because the number of humans that see them there is so small. Wow. Super cool. Now, now, this particular area, did you get brought in there by a bush plane or something? Yeah, or absolutely. So bush plane landing on a gravelly beach. So, Bill, you would have loved it. You know, uh, Wow. Um, not even a seaplane, because in this particular area, the tide swings so dramatically uh, that it's difficult to pull off the landing in a, in a float plane or seaplane. Um, so they actually land on this slanted gravelly uh glacial beach that also turns along with the direction of the water so it was a little freaky <laughs> and those are one of those bush planes with the big balloony tires on them, right to set down exactly the big what, what type tires. of plane was it Go what ahead. type of plane was it kev it was a big uh cessna so it was a six-seater cessna i forget what the number is but uh with the big balloony tires on it and a uh, great pilot uh, took us in there. And, and fortunately for me, uh, you know, and you, Bill, being around planes our whole lives with our dad being a pilot, the weather was really good because uh, I was saying to some of the other campers that were with us, I said, I hope the weather's nice. And they were like, well, why are you worried about that? And I was thinking, well, sometimes I guess the less you know, the better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now tell me. You know I'm always closing the show with always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Tell me somebody had a weapon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> our our uh, guide that was with us, uh, well, first off, you couldn't leave this little camp. Um, and it was small, a little small tent camp with about 10 uh, tents in it. Um, you couldn't leave this camp without a guide. You know, you couldn't okay. walk outside of this. It had a small electrified fence on it but i don't think it would really stop uh, a bear you know i mean it was like three wires between poles wow. um going around the camp but you couldn't go past that boundary without a guide and the guide we were with most of the time he had a uh, shotgun on his back a sawed off shotgun with uh five uh pump action with five shells in it uh, the first one being just a flashbang, so no lead. And then uh, the next four were one-ounce slugs. And then they had bear spray as well. But it's interesting. This guide, I think he's been working there for seven years, and he said he's never chambered around. Wow. Um, it's incredible. Yeah. I mean, really awesome. But, you know, related to our podcast, Bill, some so a couple of things. One, I didn't see the hairy man, but I was looking for him. All right. Uh, and he may be out he, out in that part of Alaska because there is nothing out there and uh, and very few people and plenty of places to hide. I mean, the whole place is a hiding area. Um, so we didn't see the hairy man. We didn't see tracks from the hairy man. We All saw right. a ton of bear and we saw a ton of bear tracks. We saw uh, wolf tracks as well, interspersed with the bear tracks. I didn't get to see a wolf. But some of the other folks in our group saw a wolf one morning, um, wow. which is pretty cool because I guess wolves are uh, even harder to see these days than uh, bear. Um, but you would never in a million years mistake a brown bear or grizzly bear to be the hairy man. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a 
comic comedy show in itself that you must have seen a bear, you know? No, I mean these these guys stand up on their hind legs like the hairy man, but you are not going to mistake this for <laughs> you know Sasquatch. It, like no way, no how. Yeah, yeah, it is <laughs> absolutely no way. That that whole thing is just a no. Joke. I know that sounds obvious, but I did want to give firsthand uh, feedback that. I mean, no way. I don't care if you drank, drank a bottle of Jack Daniels. You're not going to mistake it for the Harry Man. <laughs> oh, wait. And listen, the same food sources that these wolves and these uh, brown bears are living off of are undoubtedly the same food sources that a Sasquatch up there is partaking in. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, I mean, these brown bears, they eat a lot of this green vegetation that's very protein-rich. I mean, I think they could probably live on that alone without the salmon. It's called sedge. And we actually ate some of the sedge. So our guide was like, you can eat it. Try it, you know. And it was actually pretty good. You know, of course, uh-huh. I like my greens more than the next person probably, but uh, it was it was tasty. <laughs> Uh, what would you compare it to? I mean, are we talking like the consistency of a, a lettuce or a celery, or is it just like dry and... Like a uh, like a lettuce or a, a wild parsley, but with okay. more flavor. Okay. You know, and not quite the uh, uh, thickness and, uh, I, I don't know, like uh, ruggedness of like a kale. Okay. You know? So very... Very consumable. I mean, if they had it in the supermarket, you, you know, you would buy it and put it on a salad and you'd be okay with it. Yeah, I mean, and if you were uh, a survivor man, uh, like a Les Straub guy, you'd be out there and you'd know this was an edible food source and the creatures know it's edible too. Oh, yeah. I mean, the bears, you see them, they're just chomping on it all day long. You know, when they're not grabbing a salmon out of the out of the river... They're uh, they're chewing on this sedge all day long, and again, it's protein rich um, for them. So good, good. Yeah, stuff. that's interesting. Now let's segue for a second because uh, I saw what we're going to talk about. But tell the listeners a little bit about that uh, funky little brochure you had about <laughs> animals you may see or creatures you may see uh, in the area. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, of course, we did. Uh, we did this uh, uh, camp, so to speak, that I was talking about, but we were up there for 14 days, so we did a lot of other stuff as well. And on one of the uh, boat uh, tours we were on, um, they had like a bingo sheet, which is pretty interesting, you know, like uh, basically, you know, see a bear, see a bald eagle, you know, see uh, an orca whale. And uh, one of the 10 uh, bingo items was uh, Sasquatch, which was pretty fun. So, <laughs> as you know, Bill, I took a picture of that and sent it over to you. <laughs> yeah, no, it was outrageous, you know. And even if it was done like kind of tongue in cheek, the fact that this creature is on the minds of who, or, or the mind of whoever created this uh, check off bingo sheet uh, is kind of cool, you know, that. It's it, it's it's in the head of people. You know, Sasquatch oh, is no in people's head up there. And, and no doubt about it. And again, there's just not that many people. You yeah. know, the whole state is just, you know, we talked about it on our uh, podcast where we went into some of the encounters in Alaska. But I think the stat was that if uh, Manhattan Island in New York City had the same population density of Alaska, I think I said there'd be 27 people on Manhattan Island. I mean, it, it's just... It's so rugged. The other thing I learned when I was up there was I think one in six 
uh, residents of Alaska have their pilot's license because basically you need a bush plane to get around. Yeah, there's there's no way in or out to many of these homesteading areas. Exactly. I mean, we've all seen these shows on television, right, where the person uh, is schlepping all of this stuff with a snowmobile into this remote area and building a little shanty to live in. But, you, you know, if you're in trouble up there, you're really in trouble. Oh, yeah. I mean, there is no... You couldn't call anybody and have them come and help you. You know, it's yeah. it's uh, who you're with. I mean, you know, Bill, you know I have some uh, some uh, weird allergies. And, like, I had three EpiPens in my pocket at all times where, you know, maybe I should have at least one in my pocket whenever I'm walking around. But in reality, in, in normal, normal day-to-day life, I don't even have one in my pocket. Up there, I had three all wow. the time because I knew there was no one to call. Like nobody can yeah. help you except for yourself. You yeah. Know, the other point too about the encounters and you know the absolute impossibility of mistaking uh, a brown bear or a grizzly bear for the hairy man. I wanted to mention was the tracks. So you know these these brown bear footprints, which were all over the place. Um, you know it looks nothing like uh, a hairy man footprint or a human footprint. Nothing right. like it. You know, right, right. That's all I'll say. Like, it's so yep. clearly a bare footprint, no matter what medium it was in. Like, you know, we saw it on sandy beaches, uh, muddy paths, muddy paths into woods, muddy paths into sunlight. You're not going to mistake this for uh, a hairy man footprint. Yeah, there's no way. I mean, uh, I've seen them myself, and it's just ridiculous. It's a preposterous uh, 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 thing to say, well, you mistook this or you mistook that for a, a, a bear. It's always a bear, right? It's always a bear. Yeah. The freaking yeah. dancing circus bear <laughs> wandering around in remote Alaska as if, you know, circus bears and circus gorillas have escaped uh, by the thousands across America from train crashes. <laughs> It's just, it's absolutely nuts. And then, you know, the other point I'll uh, I'll end on, we could certainly kick it around some more, but is the density of the forest. So uh, wherever we were in Alaska and mostly around the Kenai Peninsula and west of the Kenai Peninsula, oh my goodness, I, I haven't seen a forest as dense. And then in between all of the trees is typically this plant called Devil's Club, which, you know, as I understand it, Alaska doesn't have any cactus or cacti. Um, this is as close to you get to that. But it's a big leafy plant with these huge spines on the stems. And it makes it nearly impossible to hike around off of a trail. And that, you know, contributes in a greater way to uh, the desolation of the forest. You know, you, yeah. you can't just walk into the forest and often push branches out of the way in that because you have this uh, devil's club plant everywhere, it seemed. Yeah, and yet the animals uh, do exactly that on a regular basis. I mean, the way God created them, they can deal with these things. We as humans are like, what is this garbage? Exactly, and why would I want to walk through it? Yeah, you wouldn't. So they're they're really isolated in there. It's almost like a shelter or a, a protected environment for them to be in. Exactly, exactly. But, you know, and, and in summary, I loved the place. So, awesome. you know, we were blessed with some fantastic weather, uncharacteristically fantastic weather. Like in 14 days, we didn't see a drop of rain. 
um, which is apparently unbelievable for that region of Alaska. And, uh, you know, the, the fishing and the, the bear viewing and whale watching and stuff like that was unbelievable, even better than I ever imagined. So uh, I fell in love with the place and the people are great. So you folks out there that are listening from Alaska, I know some of you have written in. What a great bunch of people. Fantastic, Kev. Well, so thanks for that great update. And uh, we'll be we'll be touching back to that uh, periodically, I'm sure. But now I know you got something really groovy, man, <laughs> called the Rugaru. <laughs> Kev's doing a little spot today in cryptids in the news and history on the beast known as Rugaru in Louisiana. <laughs> What do you got today, Kevin? Exactly. All right. From Alaska to the bayou of the great state of Louisiana. So uh, we're going to talk about the mysterious Rougarou. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, Rougarou, there's, I'll tell you what, Bill, there are so many different versions of this beast out there. And by the way, as many different spellings of Rougarou are out there as well. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but generally, Rougarou still pronounced the same way. And, uh, you know, the concept of Rougarou is connected to the idea of a werewolf. Um, and, you know, it goes all the way back to uh, origins with the French uh, over in France during medieval times. So, you know, it carries right up until today, but you can trace it back to medieval times in France. And uh, the name of the creature basically comes, and and I apologize to our listeners ahead of time, my French is awful. Uh, (laughs) But it comes from two French words of, I think it's pronounced Lou and Garou. So, you know, like Rougarou, but, you know, a little bit different in French. And the first word uh, loosely translates to wolf. And and the second word translates into man who transforms to animals. So, you know, basically kind of like a wolf man. Yeah, just the old uh, Lon Chaney guy when the moon came out and he started ripping the hotel room apart. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So, uh, you know, and and the legend of Rougarou has spread to many generations and it's believed that it spread from France to the French settlers that, uh, you know, have concentrated down in Louisiana historically. Um, so, you know, pretty cool. So you do have that tie kind of from the Cajun folks, you know, that have their Cajun language in the origins of French, uh, that, that got there from the early French settlers that went down into Louisiana. Yeah. That whole thing was a French and they still have the French quarter. Exactly. Uh, uh, down there. Uh, and I think their language, a lot of the language spoken down there is a loose knit version of like French and English or something. It's like their own dialect, right? Yeah, it's kind of like uh, yours and my interpretation of English. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which A may or may not dialect. be that good. <laughs> <laughs> so this, the Rougarou, I mean, uh, it does seem to uh, uh, lend itself to the dogman. These dogman encounters are something that's, more similar to the statue of uh, uh, an athletic man with a wolf's head uh, than, say, the description of a Bigfoot, which is usually very broad and wide and and more 
uh, enormous in its dimensions. Yeah, it's interesting. So, um, you know, these Rougarous, they're typically described as being eight to nine feet tall. So still wow. pretty big. Yes. Uh, but definitely, like you're saying, the head of a wolf with very sharp teeth, but interestingly, red glowing eyes. Yeah. So, you know, we know the hairy man is often described as having red glowing eyes as well. Yeah, I don't know what that's all about. I, I, I just can't put my finger on that. Uh, you know, you know, I'm always thinking, first of all, when you start thinking about the Rougarou and the French description of uh, a wolf and a man changing to an animal. I mean, this is a word they created basically out of two words. Yep. And it's this wolf man who changes from man into wolf, I, I would assume, right? Exactly, exactly. So I mean, this, it really me, sounds that, a lot like, you know, the old wolf man stories. Yeah, and to me, this all flips into the demonic realm. There's nothing on this planet uh, naturally created that turns from one thing into the other uh, at will that I know of. No, and it's interesting. So one theory, you know, one of the many theories around Rougarou is that you have this legend right, that came over from France and, um, you know, could could be enhanced as well in the bayou in Louisiana, you know, from this medieval times in France. Right. But some of the researchers out there that I came across said, well, you know, maybe these folks are actually seeing Bigfoot, but it's on the background of this legend that's familiar to nearly everyone down there in the bayou of Rougarou. So, you know, they see this thing that is the hairy man, but they're thinking of it as Rougarou because to them, Rougarou has been around longer than the hairy man. So, you know, that's, that's one theory that's out there. Um, but look at the heads of the two different animals. I know, I know, I know. I mean, a wolf, a wolf doesn't look like a Bigfoot. I'm with you. I'm with you a hundred percent. It's kind of, you know, I don't want to seem like I'm, playing both ends of the coin, because I just got done saying that you would never mistake a grizzly bear or a brown bear to be the hairy man either. So, Well, right. although if you, if you had a rear view, if you had a rear view of either creature and both were seven, eight, nine feet tall, broad, yes. some hair on them, Definitely you what, do you, what are you going to say, you know? Right. Well, and by the way, say it's, you know, at dusk and you see these glowing red eyes looking at you, you know, I don't know how much of the features I would make out. Yeah, time to break out the sawed-off pump action. <laughs> bang, bang, bang. And let's just skip that first round. <laughs> so we got to... Yeah. Oh, go ahead. go ahead. I was just going to say, we got to chamber the livestock. <laughs> Forget about that flash bang. Exactly. <laughs> now it, you know so it's interesting when we look at Rougarou and the and the research into Rougarou you know like many of the creatures we talk about uh in cryptids in the news um you know some of the origin of the stories uh were created believed to have been created to inspire fear in children you know so basically going back you know into medieval times you know up through uh, probably even up through, uh, you know, the 1700s, 1800s, you wanted to scare your children uh, and inspire fear in them so that they would stick around the house, you know, stick around the homestead, don't wander out into the forest. So it's kind of uh, like, you know, the old uh, fable of uh, Hansel and Gretel, you know, and things like that, where you you tell these kind of horrific stories to scare kids to not venture out on their own when they're not old enough to take care of themselves. 
Yeah, Kev, you know, uh, before you were born and we lived in the city, uh, Dad, used, there used to be this guy that would wander around the sidewalks. I have no idea who this man was, uh, what he did. He was probably some harmless, helpless soul. And Dad used to refer to him as the boogeyman. <laughs> and he used to tell us, you know, don't go out by yourself. Don't walk around the streets. The boogeyman will get you. You know, <laughs> we were all like, you know, ah, the freaking boogeyman. You know, what's he going to do? Awesome. You know? <laughs> but he wasn't a Rougarou. He was a guy. <laughs> that's good. That's good. See, I wasn't old enough to remember Dad talking about that, but that's awesome. I, I love yeah. the fact that he was trying to scare the bejesus out of you. <laughs> Uh, it's incredible. So, so uh, you know, more on Rougarou, I think one of the coolest things, and, you know, cool could be interpreted many different ways, about researching Rougarou is the many ways that one may become a Rougarou. <laughs> All right, here we go. So, yeah. I gather I gather you don't eat a bowl of Cheerios and become a Rougarou. No, and not, you don't eat some of that sedge up in Alaska sedge. and turn into a Rougarou either. <laughs> so, uh <laughs> Maybe you gnaw on some devil's club and <laughs> have a bottle of seltzer and you turn into a rougarou. So, so this first version that I pulled out is a bit like the chicken and the egg. So, okay. you know, they don't tell how the first rougarou became a rougarou, but they say that when, when the rougarou draws blood from a human victim, then the current rougarou is released from the curse and the bitten victim becomes a Rougarou. So it's, you know, I, I said it's uh, kind of like what I would call Rougarou tag. Like, ha ha, you're it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's a lot like the old Dracula thing, right? When, the, when Dracula bit a victim in the neck, they became uh, a vampire or his slave or something like that. I remember that kind of weird. Exactly, exactly. You know, and that... By the way, for our listeners, if you haven't, I went back a while ago and read that original uh, Stoker book about uh, Dracula, the, you know, the, the old, old, old one. That thing is what a creepy book, you know. <laughs> yeah. And his his uh, uh, the depiction that was made of the Nosferatu, uh, his monster version of Dracula was that of like a decaying living corpse. This thing was nothing like, you know, uh, uh, the Dracula that we know with the slick back hair and the neat pressed uh, tuxedo long tails and all that jazz. This thing was a nasty, it was like the living dead. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. So, you know, but it, different here than the Dracula story, the original Rougarou, although they remain weakened and kind of sick, you know, or sickly, um, they, they're not a Rougarou anymore, but they are forbidden to uh, speak of the experience for fear of being killed by another Rougarou. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like, let's face it, being th or being thought of as being completely crazy, right? If you said, well, I was a Rougarou and then I bit someone else, so I'm not a Rougarou, but beware <laughs> of these other Rougarous running around. It'd be like, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's very strange. It gets strange. And more strange as we go along. Yeah, so, oh, that's... so that's the Rougarou, what I would call the Rougarou tag version. And then, okay. of course, there's the version called Rougarou freeze tag. No, I'm just kidding, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't resist that one. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, my God. So then, you know, if you look back in the 1500s, um, there's, uh, you know, writings that basically say people believe that the Rougarou was a genetic disorder. So that basically you were born with it, um, which kind of makes more sense, you know, that you could have some kind of disorder. You know, maybe it was who knows, you know, uh, a medical something that we would know as a rare medical disorder today. But back then they would explain it as, you know, something else, at least a part of the time. So basically you're born with it. Um, or, interestingly enough, that you might actually get the disorder from being cursed by a witch. Um, <laughs> wow. So, you know, again, I told you this would be interesting. And in yeah, these yeah. versions, you know, the, the person throughout all of these versions, the person looks and behaves as a normal person in normal society until something triggers the transformation from normal human into Rougarou. And of course, in these stories, the classic trigger is the full uh, moon. Oh my God! It has to be the full moon. <laughs> oh, but I was like the uh, Mothman. You know, it all began in a graveyard. <laughs> you know, it's got got to be the full moon. It's got to be it, the full moon. It couldn't be that you go into the burger shack and you leave, and the guy put the wrong burger in your bag, and you get PO'd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you turn into the Rougarou and go back in and tear to join up. Personally, that's how I turn into the Rougarou. <laughs> <laughs> How did you not get this order right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And right, then, so you know, the trigger being the full moon, and this one's similar to the prior one, in order to return to human form, they have to take a bite of human flesh. Great. So, and, and this, I think, is, as I recall, very similar to the traditional werewolf legend. And uh, I think, uh, Bill, I don't know if you remember that movie, probably from the 80s, An American Werewolf in London. Um, that was a classic, you know, where it was two college kids, two American college kids roaming around the UK. And one of them becomes a werewolf, you know. And, yeah. You know, so kind of the classic, uh, classic uh, werewolf story. Wow, just incredible. And then, okay, get ready for this one. So, Bill, if you recall, a few weeks ago, we had a listener send in an email asking if we believed in several different hairy man conspiracy theories out there, right? And and one of those, if you recall, had to do with the Catholic Church. So uh, I came across this one, and I had to bring it bring it up because... Of course, you know, you and I are Catholics. We had a bit of a howl around the uh, conspiracy theory around Bigfoot and the Catholic Church, as if the Catholic Church doesn't have enough uh, challenges lately. Unfortunately, uh, we don't think it has anything to do with Bigfoot uh, conspiracies. Yeah, uh, no, there's nothing going on. But, but wait till you hear this one. So in okay, this variation ahead. of the folklore, a wolf-like, man-like beast will hunt down and kill Catholics who do not follow the rules of Lent. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I, I mean, I was laughing out loud like you are when I, when I read this. And then yep. there's a, a, a further legend that um, says that it, it's very, it's similar, that if you do not follow the rules of Lent for seven years in a row, then you become a Rougarou. So keep that Fantastic. in mind. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. 
<laughs> so, you know, these are, like I said, promise the uh, strange ways that you can become a Rougarou. And then, you know, just to reiterate, there, there are some researchers that believe that a lot of these sightings of Rougarou uh, down in uh, Louisiana are, in fact, Sasquatch sightings or a variation of Sasquatch um, that are just heavily influenced in a suggestive way by the many, many, many years of the Rougarou legend. So, you know, I just want to emphasize that again. Yeah, that's fantastic work. Uh, fantastic work. Yeah. And then, uh, so, so I'm going to end, mean, I'm going to give you one story, okay? So, yeah, from yep. Cajun folklore. It's short, but it's it's good. It gives you a feel for it. So, this came from uh, uh, something called, a periodical called the Nichols Worth, which apparently is a local college paper down in uh, Cajun country. And it was titled, uh, Rougarou Remains Strong Figure in Cajun Folklore. And it recounts a story from a woman about an experience in her youth. She says a local boy was being followed by a dog when he decided to cut it with his pocket knife. And the boy saw now why he would want to cut a dog with a pocket knife is a different story. But, you know, yeah, um, yep. the, the boy saw the dog turn into a man, then ran home to tell his family. According to the woman, the next day, a prominent physician appeared in town with his right arm cut and in a sling. And uh, she says, I remember when the physician shot himself here in Lockport, a place down in Louisiana. A year later, the boy killed himself and left a letter that the family turned over to the sheriff. Even today, the sheriff refuses to let anyone see it. So, uh, you know, this is in the freaky deaky example of cryptids <laughs> in the news. There is no doubt about it, you know. <laughs> oh my God, you know. And and look, it's all out there for us to uh, talk about, to peruse. Uh, a lot of this, as you've said, is folklore and legend. Uh, but on top of that, there is something being seen, large and hairy, uh, the glowing eyes moving around in the forest. Now, what people attach it to. Uh, as far as what it is, is a whole nother story in itself. Exactly, exactly. But yeah. that doesn't take away from the sightings of creatures and people saying, oh, it's a Rougarou, or oh, it's the Honey Island Swamp Monster, exactly. or oh, it's a, it's a Bigfoot, you know. Uh, so the labeling occurs after the sighting, and then, of course, there's a lot of folklore and legend involved with these creatures, too. Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, you hit the uh, Rougarou on the head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd have to jump three feet to hit him on the head. <laughs> Holy smoke. Well, now, before I uh, segue into my uh, account for today, uh, you and I had discussed a little contest uh, where somebody can uh, uh, win an autographed copy of one of the books. So what are you suggesting the contest be, brother? Yeah, so... Um... We can we we can do something like have someone write in uh, to our website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. Give us some feedback on the podcast. And, uh, you know, over the next two weeks after we drop this podcast, we could pick uh, pick a few uh, names out of the hat and uh, and uh, give away give away some uh, some audiobooks. 
Okay, that sounds fair enough. And if you're lucky enough, listeners, maybe I'll uh, sign two or three or four. I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do, but if you don't write into us, if you don't contact us, you don't have a shot at it at all. So so we'll leave it at that, Kev. The listeners write in or, or come on to the uh, Bigfoot terrorinthewoods.com on our contact link. Say hello. Tell us what you think. Uh, and of course, if I get back to you, you'll have to uh, give me your address so I can send you the book. Uh, but I promise you, these addresses are going to be uh, deleted uh, after after I make up the address label. So Autograph copy. That. Awesome. Awesome. Now, that'll be cool. So, moving right along here. My dear listeners, once again, little did you know when you tuned in this podcast today that you were about to enter a realm, a realm beyond all space and time. It is a place which you will never forget. You are about to enter the Bigfoot Zone. (laughs) Awesome. This is this is by far one of the freakiest Bigfoot accounts uh, that I have ever heard, and I'm about to share it with you, so fasten your seatbelts. This strange and unusual account was told to me by John Murray, a resident of the state of Pennsylvania. Here is what John had to say. My friend Tony and I were rat racing on some fire breaks around a ridge in western Pennsylvania. We had a pair of quads and were tearing it up down this one trail when as we came around a bend, we saw a Bigfoot crossing the trail ahead of us, some 100 yards or so away. I saw it first and immediately lifted my arm into the air, pointing at it so that Tony would look. Both of us backed off the throttle and slowly made our way up to the point where we had seen it. There was no mistaking what we had just seen. It was a huge, fur-covered monster, and it had crossed the trail, turning its head right towards us as it did so. When we got to where it had crossed, there was somewhat of a trail, but not meant for a quad. So we decided that we were going to take a loop around through another break and see if we could see anything more on the other side. By the time we made this maneuver to get on the other side of this section of forest, about five minutes had passed, and we were approaching where we believed this Bigfoot must have been heading. Ahead of us, leaning against a tree, was a man wearing nothing but a white t-shirt, blue jeans, and a pair of white canvas boat shoes with no socks. I need to make something very clear before I continue with what I am about to say. It was early October and late in the day, with the temperature being in the upper 40s and windy. The forest was damp and the trails were somewhat loose and muddied from rain in the morning. 
the muddy conditions were actually why we were riding that day. As we approached this man, we turned the quads off to BS with him. Immediately, I was taken aback by the strong smell of cheap aftershave or hair tonic. His hair was slick and neatly parted on one side, and his jeans were rolled up in a cuff, exposing his ankles. I had a sweatshirt and a jacket and gloves on, while this dude was wearing a T-shirt and sneakers, standing in the middle of nowhere, smoking. Turning the page here, so bear with me. I know Tony and I were on the same page about this dude. His appearance was like that of a greaser from the 50s. We told him that we had just seen a Bigfoot on the lower trail and that we had raced up here hoping to see it. He said, I haven't seen anything. As he stood there, I realized that I couldn't smell any smoke from the cigarette and it didn't seem to be burning down either. Tony asked him if he lived around here, and with this, the guy pointed and said that he lived over in that direction. As Tony continued to talk to him, I took note of the fact that his white sneakers had no dirt or mud on them at all, while all boots and quads were covered in the stuff. These boat sneakers were pure white canvas with no rubber on top. If he had walked anywhere around here, there would have been mud all over the sides at the very least. He wasn't really contributing to the conversation, rather just answering our questions as we asked them. I briefly turned my head towards Tony to kind of give a look that signaled what kind of weirdo did we just run into? And when I turned my head back, the guy was gone. He had vanished. No more cheap-smelling hair tonic or aftershave. He quite simply was no more. The two of us stood there as if we had both gone mad. Tony started fidgeting with his quad, and I knew why. It was like he and I had to do some type of reality check, feeling the quad's controls and making sure we were still connected to the planet. This event had completely blown our minds. We looked around, but we couldn't see any footprints. So we started up the quads and went back out the way that we had come in, eventually approaching the spot where the Bigfoot had crossed our path and where we had stopped. We were certain of the spot because there was an unmistakable falling tree by the edge of the trail. As we got off the quads to look around for the tracks, we talked about what had happened with this guy. This particular ground here was very soft, but there were no tracks to be found anywhere. We kept checking and rechecking with each other that this was in fact the spot, and we were certain that it was. We had seen this Bigfoot take maybe three steps across this very spot and go into the woods, heading in the direction of where we found this disappearing man. We hadn't stopped to look for tracks earlier since we were following this thing. The Bigfoot was huge, 
covered in fur, and its arms swung in cadence with its steps as it crossed, and yet there was not a single trace that it had done so. To us, this was absolutely the craziest set of circumstances that we could imagine, but it had happened to the two of us exactly as I described it to you. Thinking about it afterwards, the Bigfoot appeared to be gliding even though it made walking motions. How a thousand-pound monster can move through the mud without leaving a trace is beyond me. So what do you think, bro? Boy, I thought the Rougarou stuff was (laughs) (laughs) freaky-deaky. This guy... I didn't know you were going to top me. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, you're talking about, again, we're left with this bizarre encounter. Uh, Believe it or not, what do you say about it? They see what they believe is a Bigfoot. They're in Western PA, PA, rat racing around on their quads on a damp and dank day. They see this thing, and then they encounter this weirdo wearing inappropriate clothing uh, clean as a whistle, looking like he just got out of the shower and slicked his hair back, smoking a cigarette that doesn't emit smoke and doesn't burn down, and then he vanishes. Yeah, they run into Arthur Fonzarelli uh, with no leather jacket <laughs> and white sneakers. <laughs> hey, Fonzie. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> I mean... You can't make this stuff up. So, (laughs) look, people, I put this stuff out there for you, uh, for your listening pleasure. But this is a guy who gives this account. And now I've heard of this uh, type of thing where the Bigfoot is seen moving and no tracks are found. I've heard this before. So I, I, I don't know what to make of that. It's like a visage. It's it appears real and yet it's not. Uh, I don't quite know what to make out of that. Yeah, and you know, part of that could be when they're seeing these creatures, you know, because I think I think you said it was a hundred yards away or something like that when they see it, and then you're in these really rural places, and you're looking at a creature that's out of scale with what you're no- used to seeing, right? Like if it's nine or ten feet tall, it could be that they, you know, can't judge the distance. And they're looking in the wrong place for the tracks. I know that might sound, you know, crazy, but, you know, think of how rural these places are when folks see the hairy man. It could just be a question of it's close by where the tracks are, but they're looking in the wrong place. Well, you know, my mind uh, was drawn. uh, When I penned this account, my mind was drawn to the... uh, the shapeshifter. Absolutely. Yeah. This, this thing that is and is not. And then the man, this freaky deaky dude leaning on the tree, completely out of place, uh, virtually non-conversant with them. He wasn't really interacting with them. And then the guy vanishes and the guy just happened to be leaning on a tree in the direction of where they thought this Bigfoot would emerge. So they rat raced up there. Very strange, very strange. It's, it, that's definitely uh, one of the freakiest accounts that I uh, I recall. <laughs> so, what have we got today, my brother? Uh, we got our, some good. Uh, we got some good listener mail. So, um, 
First off, we're going to go over to Italy. Well, let, let me back up. First off, let me continue to thank our listeners uh, for the mail, you know, for the participation. You know, if you see something, say something like my brother uh, uh, always repeats to you, and I try to as well. Thank you for your mail, and thank you again for your uh, reviews. You know, uh, uh, we we love uh, to see all those great reviews, you know, and if you haven't given it a review just on your favorite podcast player, jump in and, uh, and leave a review for us. Um, but thanks for these uh, emails coming in at our website on the con- contact us section of terrorinthewoods.com so the first one is from anthony in italy hey anthony, hey, anthony. <laughs> amazing <laughs> yeah yeah and he says i'm really enjoying the banter between the two of you uh and on a sad note he says my brother passed away when i was young and you're fortunate to have each other and to be doing this together awesome uh, he says you you have, there have long been tales of such creatures in the north of Italy, and you may want to investigate that further. Thank you for what you do, Anthony. So uh, first off, Anthony, if it's not clear to all of you out there, my brother and I love doing this together. <laughs> so uh, and, and because we live so far away from each other, um, this is a great way to, to uh, force us uh, not that we have to be forced but you know our lives are a lot like all of yours time just flies by but this is a way to force us to get together and uh, and do these podcasts together so so we are blessed to uh, be able to do this with each other and uh, you know that tip bill for northern Italy um, I know myself I haven't looked into anything in northern Italy uh, I'd love to take a field trip I love the food in Italy <laughs> Yeah, you know, uh, two things. First of all, I'm blown away by the magnitude of people uh, getting in touch with us from all over the globe. It is just incredible. Absolutely. And, you know, you'll see with the with the letters today, they, they are from all over the place as usual. Wow, it is it's just awesome. nuts. Yeah. And then here we go again. Here we have Anthony from Italy listening in. And tipping us off to potential Bigfoot sightings in northern Italy. I have never heard of such a thing. Okay, so same for you. I I hadn't heard of anything. Yeah, uh, so we'll, Anthony, we're going to look into that. Uh, You know, we have a lot of stuff on our plate. uh, But we don't forget anything. And we will certainly do our due diligence to see what we could drum up uh, in the northern part of your country. Yeah, awesome. I wish he. I, I wish he would have mentioned if he lives in northern Italy, but I guess we don't know that. Yeah, can't can't tell from the uh, from the email. Okay, good enough. And thanks, Anthony, for uh, chiming in with us and uh, uh, extending us your greeting. We appreciate it. Yeah, awesome, awesome. All right, so we're going to go from Italy to uh, Wendy in Boulder, Colorado, one of my favorite cities in. Uh, in the western U.S., beautiful little city. I have the pleasure of going there for business once in a while. Uh, really, just a spectacular place. And Wendy says, for those of you that have ears and are willing to listen, there has been much activity by these creatures in my state, so the state of Colorado, and the accounts in your books are further evidence of that. I just bought volume five in audio format, and I'm glad you stayed true to form in your reading. It's just perfect. 
Keep up the great work. I love you guys. Awesome. Yeah. Wow, that is fantastic. And by the way, uh, thank you, Wendy, for uh, puffing me up a little bit there with the reading. Folks, I read these books in audio, on Audible uh, the way you hear me read these segments on the podcast. It's not a Shakespearean oration by any <laughs> means. <laughs> I'm, I'm reading these things like uh, uh, a, a New York street reporter covering a crime scene. <laughs> so <laughs> if you like that, that's what you're going to get on Audible. So awesome. do listen do listen to the Audible sample. It's awesome, uh, yeah. Uh, but Colorado, there are a lot of accounts coming out of that area. And she is right. I've had... I don't know if the top of my head, two, three, four, five, I'm not even sure, uh, accounts coming out of there. Uh, so there's a lot of activity around that state. Yeah, no doubt about it. So the next letter comes from Edgar in Russia. So wow. all the way to Russia. And uh, he says, I'd like to hear your take on the Dyatlov Pass incident where the hikers were found dead in my country. Yeah. One of the victor, victim's cameras had a photo in it of what most definitely appeared to be a Bigfoot. It or they killed them for sure. Fantastic listening and very unique uh, to the two of you. He says, pure genius with an exclamation point. So uh, <laughs> thank you, Edgar. I'd say thank you in Russian, but I don't know how to say that. But, uh, <laughs> Allow me to introduce myself. Wiley Coyote genius. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we are, we, you know, I'm actually looking at the uh, Dyatlov Pass incident. Um, I'm not sure uh, uh, how quickly we'll get to it. But, uh, you know, for those of you out there that don't know about this incident, uh, going back in time a bit, it's fa it's a it's a wildly weird account of a bunch of very experienced hikers uh basically being found wiped out um uh with uh various different theories of what might have happened so stay tuned but you know bill i i i know you're familiar with that incident it's uh it's definitely in the freaky deaky category yeah i i do recall that they found uh Look, I may foul this up talking about it, but it's worth just mentioning here in regards to this uh, uh, email we were sent. They found these people in various uh, states of nudity. I think their clothes were off of them. Some of them were completely nude, if I'm not mistaken. I think one was in a tree. Uh, they had torn out of their tent. Uh, I had heard that it looked like the tent was torn open from the inside and exactly. they had run out in fear or out of their minds into the snow and the weather. Uh, I think some of them were found with bones broken and rib cages crushed. It was really a horrific, horrific scene. Yes. And they were very experienced uh, mountain people and hikers, you know, very yeah. experienced. Actually, I think, as I recall, they were pursuing like some higher level of certification, um, you know, as mountain guides or something like that. But we'll 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 get back to that one in the future. It's a it's a fantastic tale. No doubt about it. Yeah. And I look forward to that. OK, so where are we go. Cool. All right. And the last one for this week comes from Ted in the great state of Alaska. 
Oh! Yeah, and he says, uh, the podcast is great, and I wouldn't change a thing. Awesome, Ted. Thank you. Um, you guys had mentioned that Kevin was headed up my way. I wondered how things went on the trip. Great show. And if I see something, I will definitely say something. Regards, Ted. So uh, <laughs> we ended up talking about that one a lot uh, at the beginning of the podcast. But I, I think we'll end up talking about it more. Um, I I loved it. It was my first uh venture into uh the uh, great frontier state of alaska certainly not my last and uh i i mean what a fantastic place and and fantastic people wow that is awesome well listen it's 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 a timely thing that our last letter was addressed in the beginning of this podcast and i'd like to thank the listeners once again for tuning in and by the way we are going to include a URL link in the description of the podcast. And if you click on that link, it will take you to Audible, where you will have the opportunity to get a free audio version of one of the books that I've recorded. Uh, we're going to randomly post these links based on the books I've already recorded. And of course, I'll be doing my due diligence to finish off the series uh, so do take advantage of that free audio book. And as we leave today, may I once again remind all of you, always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.